Hello and welcome to the Geeky Brewery Podcast. Joining me today, as always, Mr. Keith Bluefield. Welcome. Hello, Ryan. And also, Mr. Lee Price. How are you? Hello. I'm good. Uh, Matt's unfortunately a little bit too busy to join us this issue, but he'll be zooming back in next time, hopefully. Um, let's start with the usual. What have you been up to? Lee, what have you been up to since we last spoke to you? Um, what have I been up to? I have been playing more games that are in my backlog, including finally starting up Mass Effect after all these years um, because of uh, EA Play getting added to Game Pass on PC. I was able to finally Mm -hmm. get it started. And yes, I can see what all the fuss was about. Uh, It is is great. It's very 2007, but it is very good. Are you enjoying the ASMR map music, which is like oh, yeah. the best music ever to just chill to? That music is great. Like it, it kind of at times reminds me of the original Tomb Raider theme. Like they're very similar. Yeah. Just there's like a, I think like a flute sort of sound in there somewhere, and it's yeah. At times I keep expecting it to turn into Lara theme. <laughs> <laughs> it is such a great game, hampered by the world's worst inventory system, um, and also the worst vehicle system as well. Don't, don't don't go make don't go knocking the Mako. That's a great little vehicle. <laughs> it handles like it looks like a very fat truck <laughs> with bouncy wheels. I think my main my think my main problem is that because it's the PC version and it locks you to keyboard and mouse. Any vehicle yeah. thing in games works better with the controller, just because you've got proper yeah. analog control, and that always works better with stuff like that. Yeah. So like pretty much as soon as I'd start, it was just full speed immediately turning it yeah. to full speed immediately I'm just trying to navigate a very narrow space please can you behave yeah and the thing is with the terrain it's like there are there are places which you obviously shouldn't try and drive up but it's the most direct thing so you just drive yeah. hit the boosters sometimes just jump try and like hop up like you would in Skyrim trying to climb yeah. a mountain I mean the thing about that is it rem- it reminded me of like those environments reminded me of Death Stranding in the sense that like they're just barren and empty and they just go on forever and you've got this awkward mm-hmm. mountain to traverse. And yeah. somehow it's even though like the Mako isn't the best controlling thing, it's still better than playing Death Stranding. It <laughs> <laughs> um, is such a beautiful game from a story point of view there. I think it's some of Bioware's finest work yeah. from a story point of view. I mean, in terms of story-wise i think i'm several hours in so therefore i'm not very far into the story uh, um <laughs> but like from what i've played so far it's just the way it opens up is brilliant because it's the sort of thing where there are two ways it could go wrong where you could either like throw all these sort of sci-fi concepts at, at the player straight away and just confuse the hell out of you or over explain it but they managed to get that nice bit in the middle where it's like you understand it immediately and you can very quickly grasp everything that's going on. Like you mm-hmm. don't need to necessarily read all the codex entries to grasp yeah. all the interstellar politics that are going on behind the scenes because they do give you just enough information as you go. So for me, that's just a superb opening that just grounded me in that world and got me very mm-hmm. invested straight away. Um, so yeah. I'm definitely looking forward to seeing more of this as the game progresses. Yeah, I remember my first playthrough getting to the Citadel for the first time was just like 
such an amazing thing, especially as it was on my Xbox 360 at the time. Mm-hmm. And I think the hard drive just started to cry at that point. <laughs> and I remember the lift loading times being so ridiculous that they added dialogue in that's the great thing about the elevators on a modern pc is that like you get the dialogue and then you and you're there so like they seem to have only they seem to have just kept the dialogue in the elevators only seem to last that long because they're loading the dialogue first i think and it's like okay we're just gonna let this play and the rest the rest of the, the game's loaded we can load it but the dialogue's going because always yeah. the doors always seem to open immediately after the dialogue, and I'm just like, yeah, this is what happens when you run it on SSD. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you. I'm glad you finally joined the Mass Effect gaming mm-hmm. community. It's 50. I think it's at the time of recordings just over two weeks until the Legendary Edition comes out. It's about two weeks, which I am very much looking forward to, and might just disappear for a week into some <laughs> black hole of just playing Mass Effect all the way through from start to bottom. Yeah. Any other game? Good games you've been picking up? Um, I've also been playing through a game from 2019 called Indivisible, which didn't get a lot of attention from what I could tell, but it is a really, it's a really good game. It's kind of like a Metroidvania RPG type thing. Um, mm-hmm. You're playing like this. Um, it's essentially like, it's another one of these sort of, you're the chosen one and you've got these latent magical powers that you didn't know you had. And it's basically this girl living in this tribe and, um, her whole village gets destroyed and her father gets killed and she heads out for revenge and then she discovers having all these powers And but it's it's a really interesting game just because of how weird and wonderful a lot of the characters get so mm-hmm. you've got like a botanist character who is your healer but also will attack enemies with a, a pestle and mortar and will literally just slam this giant pestle and mortar <laughs> on and just grind them <laughs> so just mixing up the uh Standard JRPG mm. tropes. Mm-hmm. It's also got yeah, quite like... a few voice actors that I recognise. As someone who watches Critical Role, every time I use the Archer character, I was just like, "Hi, Matt Mercer." <laughs> <laughs> he's also in Mass Effect, I think. Is he the voice of the male Shepherd? I think. No, he's not. It's a different Matt, I think. Might have to double check that. It's definitely not him, I know that much. Yeah. Keith, how about yourself? What have you been up to the last few uh, weeks? Uh, I ventured out into the real world for the first time in ages to actually do something um, because I went to the opticians, which I've been putting off for a long, long time, uh, which is fine. Although I didn't get to play my favourite game, which stresses me out, which is the field of view test, where you have to look (laughs) in a device with an eye patch on and then kind of press a button when you see a light flash up. (laughs) Um, which is in some ways reminds me of playing um, Battlezone in the arcades but uh, it's not quite as fun stresses me out immensely but luckily this time around I didn't have to do that test which was good so I enjoyed that Um, and I've I've been spending a lot of time just watching bizarre films that have been on TV um, that I love so uh, I think last weekend or the weekend before was Toys um, a Robin Williams film um, which I absolutely adore it's weird as hell but absolutely fantastic uh, features a, a superb screen performance by LL Cool J, um, mm-hmm. e- even better than Deep Blue, uh, Deep, um, Deep Blue Sea. What is it called? Yeah, is it Deep Blue Sea? I think whatever he was in with Samuel yeah. L. Jackson, uh, and then was uh, Babe, Babe recently as well was on, uh, which I just watched because that was great. Because you have ba- animatronic mice, Babe or 
Babe, Pig in the City. Babe, the one that's not directed by um, George George Miller, which is always brilliant that the guy that directed Mad Max directed <laughs> a, a film about a pig in a city. But both of those films are brilliant because they um, have their own internal logic and stick to it. Because um, mm-hmm. I much preferred those, and a film we're talking about later in the show. Uh, as I also mm-hmm. chose to watch a film that's been Os- Oscar nominated, um, which is on one of the streaming platforms, uh, which was fine. I could understand perhaps why it got nominated for an Oscar because it wasn't fun and it wasn't a <laughs> film I would revisit, which seems to be a trait of Oscar yeah. films. It's like a film you'll watch once and go, I've seen it, but you'll never return to again. <laughs> I think we all agree there's only three types of films that get nominated for an Oscar. If it's about a war, about Hollywood, or I can't remember what the third thing was, but I know that there's like a third. Basically, I, just it's a middle-aged man having a crisis. Usually yeah, is like th- th- this kind of fell into that kind of, of, of trap, which was, which was a shame. I was expecting much more from it. Um, yeah. Because the, the lead actor of, of uh, liked his work in a lot of other things. And he was Oscar, Oscar so, so it's nominated. definitely not a film with Ryan Gosling in it. It's there. not a film with Ryan Gosling, <laughs> yeah. Whose best performance is as a, a, a robot in Blade Runner 2029. 20, no, the perfect role mm. for him. But no, this was, this was, I expected a lot more from this. The title sounded great. The premise sounded great. Uh, but the film itself was just a bit meh. And I was very disappointed. Mm-hmm. Um, I won't be watching it again. Um, but yeah, it was a bit of a shame that really and then a, a, a bit of the time recently i've been watching uh video reviews of pokemon snap not that i wasn't gonna go and get it but it was nice to see reviews of it and everybody going oh yeah it's great um, I so i need to get that <laughs> but also as a result of that i'm now also thinking about getting persona strikers uh on the switch because i've never really played a persona game before but you really need to play persona 5 you do need to play I, persona don't, I don't know if i've got access to a system that i can play that on you don't have a ps4 no <laughs> so I'm, I'm a bit stuck so it's, it's a bit of a thing i've always liked the look of the games but i've never had a system i could play it on so, so the, the strikers game looked like at least um i, something I, I do want to play strikers but i will say from what i know about it it absolutely is not uh, representative of the Persona series as yeah. it would normally play because it's um, it's basically a Dynasty Warriors game yeah. but in the Persona 5 universe. And I do kind of, um, basically, do kind of like a Dynasty Warriors like, game. That's just like bonking hordes over the head, isn't it? That, that's the entire game is just whack-a-mole with hordes of enemies. It's just, it's just running into a crowd and just swinging your sword and taking out like 100 people at once. Well, <laughs> although the review, the review that I was watching did say it kind of fitted into the Persona universe quite well. That it, mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't your standard Dynasty Warriors game mm-hmm. uh, or Hyrule Warriors version. They actually used that mechanic um, quite nicely within the Persona universe. So I'm kind of thinking, well, I kind of want to dip my toe into the Persona world. And I think this, this is the only way I can do it at the moment. So I think I might I might double up and treat myself to Pokemon Snap and Persona. Oh, two purchases. I know, it's shocking. I'll never play. I won't play them for six months. They'll just go on a pile. I won't touch them for ages. Because now you've been talking about um, Mass Effect. So I'm thinking, oh, well, I never really finished my playthrough of the uh, um, trilogy uh, edition that I got myself on Xbox 360. And it's like yeah. just kind of sitting there. I'm kind of halfway through the first game, and I should really finish it off. And the thing is, with the Legendary Edition, it's actually fixed the control scheme for and um, the inventory. I think for Mass Effect War. Uh, I, don't, I don't. You know who who needs that? I think I think you should um, struggle with the original. <laughs> you know that's part and parcel of the game. Like drive the Mako through mud. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
What about yourself, Ryan? What have you been up to in the last few? Uh, bit of a quiet one. I have restarted Marvel Cinematic Universe Phase One. So I've just finished Winter Soldier Avengers again soon. Yeah, thought I'd do a bit of prep for another discussion we're having a bit later on in the show. But um, and watching something else and a bit of Netflix and watching Man Down, which is a comedy that completely passed me by the first time round. But because of Taskmaster and Mike Wozniak. Wozniak, Mrs. Geeky from me said, I don't understand who this person is, and I knew he was in Man Down, so it's like, well, let's watch a few episodes of Man Down so you can kind of see his oh. comedy shows. Man Down is yeah. one of the greatest British comedies of the last 40 years. Uh, I'm slightly biased because it's got uh, Greg in it, but also Rick Mail plays his dad, yeah. which is kind of freaky in one way, <laughs> thinking that Rick Mail is, uh, was old enough, he's greatly missed. Uh, yeah, Rick. But, but it's just a, so it's just a work of mitigated genius. More importantly, his mom is played by <laughs> Mrs. McCluskey from Grey Hill, Grey Hill, which we found. <laughs> yeah, very shocking. It's a but good yeah, show. It's, it's just the levels of absurdity which heap on themselves from a normal situation to the end of each episode. Yeah, it's like there is a path followed, which has some logic to it, but there's a massively absurdist ending every time. Ah, uh, yeah, it's brilliant. Yeah, it's one of those shows that um, short and sweet in a UK comedy sense. There was two seven-episode series, two six-episode series, so pretty much the length of a single American sitcom season <laughs> with twenty-six episodes. But it, it's just fantastic, and it's like if you've never watched it, I urge you to go out and watch it. Yeah, and it it is, but I think the kids in it are some of the best performances. The, the class of children that he has are some of the best act, actors and actresses I've seen. Yeah. It's really good to watch. Yeah. Because he plays a teacher in it, naturally, because it seems to be the path of every single stand-up comedian in the UK is they either start off as a comedian or an executive working in an office and then give up halfway through their career and then move into comedy when they get bored of teaching. <laughs> well, it is semi-autobiographical by all accounts. Yeah. <laughs> so. But Greg Davis is fantastic in it. Oh yeah, and there is nothing that man won't do for a laugh by the by the looks of it. Yeah, and it, well, it's a genius bit of casting because him and Rick have got a very similar kind of uh, physical yeah. physical and delivery uh, of their lines. It's just like you you could believe that they were father and son. That's, and it's just brilliant. Yeah, that's what I was thinking, even though I've like not heard of this show. Like as soon as you said, like you know, you've got Rick Mail playing his dad. I was like, that works. Yeah. That just fits. Yeah. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, because I think I think that was the big joke when he first started to like get famous in um, stand-up circles. Where he was like, "Yes, it's the giant Rick Mail is with you this week." Yeah, <laughs> it's like Rick Mail, but somebody's just stretched me. <laughs> uh, yeah, and I dearly do miss Rick Mail and his frenetic comedy stylings. Yeah, but um, definitely worth a watch. It's on Netflix and all four. It's one of those things where if you have Netflix, you can watch it without the joy of all fours adverts. But if you if you want it on free play in the UK, you can watch it on all four. Definitely, definitely worth a watch. Right, a uh, little bit of business before we get further into the show. We have a winner of last issue's competition to win a beautiful Geeky Brew pin match, as you may have seen on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, website. Everywhere else we plastered it. Uh, but the winner is, drum roll please. 
It's uh, Tom Goodman, who hasn't provided his address, so please do get in touch, Mr. Goodman, and we'll uh, get that posted out to you. But uh, well done. Are you going to reveal the actual answer <laughs> to, to what yes. he was? That would be a good idea, wouldn't yeah. it? The answer to the question was, in the beautiful badly drawn competition, was Ratchet and Clank. The classic PS4 game. Not made my do- naughty dog, because that's the only thing you can remember about it. It's the other franchise. Yeah, it's not Jack, Jack and Daxter. And Daxter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, they just they just blend into my head. They're like they're the same franchise. One's robotic version of the other. Ratchet and Clank, the developers of that went on to make Spider-Man. So there you go. Yeah. yeah but yeah, really good game. And we'll be doing another round of Badly Drawn in the next issue, I assume. So another chance to win a badge. I'll just draw them actually badder thing next time. <laughs> Make it a little bit more difficult. But yeah, congratulations, Tom. Mm-hmm. So coming off from today's show, we'll be looking at the latest release on Netflix, uh, which would have originally been a cinema release, uh, but that is Love and Monsters. Uh, we'll be talking Captain America as it's his 80th birthday this year. And we'll be looking at the Resident Evil franchise and its uh, many iterations that we've had throughout the years. But uh, we'll be back shortly. What's happening to you these days? Having lots of fun? Believe me, I know some folks that are in for some fun. <laughs> Take a minute. See what's in it. But you can see how dangerous this could be. But first, we're going to have a little fun tonight, folks. It's time for the Geeky Brummy Podcast. So Love and Monsters has dropped on Netflix in the UK. Uh, internationally, it was... Um, Paramount Pictures, I believe, in the States in an October release, but uh, due to things and nasty bug-based things, we, we've not been able to have it in a cinema release here in the UK. Um, I find this film very hard to describe. It feels like it's riffing off Zombieland, but it's like a Nickelodeon kids version of Zombieland is the only way I can phrase it in my head. Keith? <laughs> Well, I, I feel I feel uh, partly responsible, as as I suggested uh, that we yeah. watch this, because it was something that had popped up on my radar a while back, um, because it was coming. Uh, it was one of the few films that was coming out through Paramount. It was a studio I've, I've liked a lot of the, the stuff that they've put out over the years. They seem to be a good studio. Did Star Trek? Did Indiana Jones? And so this was kind of the first Paramount film for ages, and it had got some interesting people involved. Um, there was mm. a guy. Uh, Michael Matthews' as director had done an interesting um, film before Five Fingers from Marseille, I think was the, the name of the film. Um, mm-hmm. But it was just the idea of um, the, this kind of monster apocalypse uh, thing. And I think what I liked about it was is it had a very distinctly 80s vibe about it. Um, mm-hmm. It was a film that kind of reminded me of things like uh, The Last Starfighter or um, a lot of the Amblin films, where you've got kind of an underdog character who kind of, you know, he isn't the chosen one, he isn't the kind of like the the hero or the jock or whatever it is, and he's kind of just has to deal with the situation that's around him, and from his interactions with other characters, finds his, you know, inner strength. You know, he still doesn't become the chosen one or whatever it is, but he becomes, you know, more 
confident of himself and able to do it. And sorry, all I can think when you say the chosen one now <laughs> is Kung Pao, and it's just really <laughs> see you go there. I, I go like you know, I go Golden Child and Eddie Murphy. But um, <laughs> and some of the things that I'd seen was like the fact that it, it, it was just something that appealed to me because the, the lead character was the kind of character that I would have imagined myself to be in, in that situation, much like uh, in Last Starfighter. You know, he draws, you know, he makes sketches of whatever, you know, the various monsters, and they include some kind of nice little cute animations of that. Um, mm-hmm. But it wasn't it wasn't bleak. It wasn't grim. Um, it just it had heart, which is a lot of films nowadays, I find, don't really kind of have that that heart to it you know you come come away from a, an ambling film or something with a warm fuzzy feeling and go oh, yeah i really enjoyed that and it had an internal mm-hmm. logic and you, i mean although there were there were monsters and creatures um you know it kind of didn't overwhelm the whole thing uh and they were used well and you know michael rooker is in it and basically any film that has Michael Rooker in it gets a free pass from me in terms of of, of, it, of it. And he plays, you know, he's a typical Michael Rooker-esque character. Um, but it was just really nice. And, you know, I think uh, Jessica Henwick was in it, who had played uh, in Iron Fist. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, and but it was, there was romance. There was a romance and there was a love story in there, but it wasn't it wasn't kind of done in the usual way. You know, it's like they'd been separated for seven years and all the rest of it, but it doesn't resolve in the way another film would, would resolve it. I kind of liked it for the fact that it, it kind of stuck to its guns in terms of being, you know, a little bit different from the, the rest of the crowd. And I think for a young adult film, you know, coming off things like Divergent and Maze Runner and all those kind of things, probably a little bit too, you know. Yeah. This this was a you know you could have a sequel and they kind of set it up a little bit that there could be a sequel, um, but it, again it was there was a TV show on Netflix uh, last year year before called Daybreak that was based on a graphic novel but that had that same kind of sensibility that it was young people being young people uh, mm-hmm. and I kind of really lo- it really appealed to me it kind of really took me back to the kind of films I I used to love as a as a teenager that I could relate oh. to them. Yeah, I think it's very much, it gives us that realistic experience of the apocalypse where I think the vast majority of people wouldn't be able to cope. And it's like we're all used to playing games like The Last of Us and that post-apocalyptic genre has been around for a while now. We've seen Mad Max, Zombieland, multiple iterations of it. And it's kind of like this is just a normal kid, as you said, stuck in a world which is completely unprepared for. Yeah. And and we do get that throughout the journey is completely wildly unprepared for it and the people he meets along the way, like basically just get him to that stage of right, this is how not to die. Yeah. And that seems to be the entire point of the film is how do I not die? <laughs> and <laughs> and, and it, it's, it, if he does get into any tight scrapes, he often resolves it through pure fluke. it's like it's not like i suddenly become the greatest warrior and the best kind of uh archer in the world it's just it's just a fluke i just it just happened to work out for me um which is kind of the reality of a lot of it but yeah i think you as you mentioned it's very much channeling that 80s kids movie vibe of stuff like the last starfighter reminded me a lot of goonies and that kind of caper adventure yeah where there's like a very defined end goal but it's very loose so you're allowed to play around with the story yeah it, yeah. it was it was quite funny as well in kind of terms of like harking back to the 80s because there was one character in it 
who I, I hoped would have done more, but it was Bruce Spence pops up yep. in the middle <laughs> in the middle of it, and you kind of go, "Oh, that's cool." You know, it's post apocalyptic, so you've got the guy that was in a couple of the Mad Max movies, um, which was which was really cool. But yeah, I just it was it was just John Hughes esque as well. Kind of mm-hmm. those kind of those kind of you know feel good movies it was you know it, it was kind of ferris bueller's yeah. monster holiday or something you know it was, yeah. it was that it, kind of thing it was very much a john hughes love story slapped over the top of a post-apocalyptic horror film yeah but i think it's done very well as well because you expect it to be you expect every film now to be like bloody and violent and when stuff like this comes in it's, it's all aimed for that radar pg-13a kind of thing and this deals with it quite deftly of doing the old-fashioned thing of cutting away when things are about to get gruesome and like having the reaction shot rather than having to like see the actual what's occurring yeah and that again felt very late 80s early 90s it's like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids a bit with the monsters as well, because everything was like just like a insect oversized. So it it kind of really had that vibe to me. And I think, as you said, it, it's it's a fun movie. It's a film that you'd expect to see on a Sunday afternoon on rotation for the rest of eternity on like BBC or ITV. It's one of those films where it's inoffensive. The plot's simple to follow. You don't have to worry about it. You can sit yourself down and switch your brain off for an hour and a half and just enjoy the film. Yeah. I mean, like I said earlier, I'd, I'd watched an Oscar nominated film um, in the same week. Yeah. And I wouldn't return to that. I didn't enjoy it. But this I would watch again because because I, I, I enjoyed a lot. You know, I connected with the characters. You know, you feel mm-hmm. sympathy for people. Um, yeah. You know, it has a good there's a good dog. Um which is, yeah. you know, I mean, having compared... a dog in a film automatically a winner, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think as well, it plays off the popularity of things like Stranger Things, mm-hmm. um, which which really played into that kind of more innocent, um, ambling, you know, Steven Spielberg style thing that you could have, you know, interesting subject matters. You could you could reference zombies, you could have monsters. But done in a way that doesn't alienate people, or you know, doesn't go down the route of um, being too bleak and or too inaccessible and kind of like grim mm-hmm. and stuff, um, which is refreshing. It's like you know, nowadays every everything wants to be dark and grey, and yeah, you know, everybody's getting stabbed in the face for you know sneezing or whatever yeah. it is. Um, it's it's great not to have something that's high concept as well, because that's what sci-fi has been in the main for multiple years now. It's nice to have some dumb, goofy monster-based sci-fi on screen rather than having to like think about. Because we've got Dune coming up, which is pretty much the ultimate high high concept sci-fi film, and this is like the opposite end of the sci-fi spectrum. It's like you can really put these two in the same pigeonhole without using the sci-fi as a category. Yeah, and I think as well the other thing that it did really deftly was it addressed some underlying modern issues particularly like climate change and, and man's place in the world because um, mm-hmm. it sets it sets off it's um the whole premise is set off by the fact that um the human race launches a bunch of missiles to destroy a comet which would, would have destroyed the earth but as a result of doing that they save the earth from the comet but they end up causing their own uh, apocalypse because of the yeah. material that falls back to earth and such and such. And then kind of like you have to kind of return to nature and the whole idea that not all monsters are bad. 
Uh, and I kind of like that, that it did play out. It made something of that, that, you know, some of the resolutions of the conflict was the fact that this creature isn't bad, but it's being made bad by a, by a person who's manipulating yeah. it to do things. And I kind of like that whole idea of like, you know, the only way mankind will survive or to be working in pair, yeah, working in partnership or in with nature. We, you know, mm -hmm. we can't set ourselves up to be better yeah. than nature because it's always going to catch us out. And I kind of, I kind of like that underlying message done in a way that, you know, kind of younger people can kind of get behind and understand. And it's not wasn't heavy handed, um, yeah. but it was and just it was fun. Nice. Nice to have an apocalyptic room where everybody's not running around with guns and in souped-up vehicles. And yeah, it's kind of like nice to, to have like a more gentle-paced apocalyptic comedy. Yeah, it's like <laughs> if that it's, it's eighty-five great. miles away. It's going to take you seven days to walk because in the in the apocalypse, you strangely still have lots of petrol. I think Mad Max <laughs> is the only film, post-apocalyptic film, that I know where having petrol is actually a challenge. Most of the ones, yeah. everybody just seems to wander around up to a car, siphons it out, and rides around on a motorcycle all the time. The one thing that never gets me is nobody in a zombie film uses a bicycle. <laughs> nobody in a post-apocalypse thing uses a bicycle. What happens to all the bicycles? Because surely that is like the fastest and most quietly effective piece of transport is get a BMX and then you can hoon around the forest as much as you want. You know, there, that, there's something in that, Ryan, and now I want to see BMX bandits, but the apocalyptic version. B bicycle warriors. Mad yeah. bags on bikes. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you can see him doing like you can imagine Mad Max where they're just cycling along and like they're doing one-handed bicycle, yeah. and like you see the see the people who haven't practiced enough just fall over in the background. I think there's a little bit of that in in Daybreak, um, mm -hmm. which which are, if, if you watch Love and Monsters and you think, oh, I like that, that's good. Definitely check yeah. out Daybreak on Netflix, which is a a, yeah. a great TV show. Yeah, should mention here that this has been Oscar nominated as well. <laughs> The best visual effects. <laughs> so, yeah. so it joins an illustrious gang of Oscar nominated films. Yeah. Yeah. It's certainly the better of the Oscar nominated films I watched this week, <laughs> as, as far as I can see. But, it, it, you know, it's just that. I, I I warm to it. I, I loved it. Mm -hmm. It goes into it goes into that catalogue of films like Explorers, like Goonies, like Last Starfighter. That you know, mm -hmm. if you're in a few years' time, I'm flicking channels and it's on, and I'm kind of like, I should be doing something else, but I'm going to sit here and watch this for two hours. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and I think, as you said, it's the it's great for like slightly older kids. Yeah, it's a film that you know you can just put on and you don't have to worry about. The typical things of something maybe shocking them halfway through. It's it's kind of it it's passable enough that I'd like to say eight nine year olds could watch this without getting too scared. Uh, yeah, probably, probably, yeah. Some of the monsters might be a little bit too, um, yeah, much for them because they kind of are based on real things. They're not too fantastical. So the one yeah. that there's a sequence in the middle which is a bit probably a little bit too much for kids. Yeah, in the yeah, in, in the play area. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. It might be a little bit too intense, but I think, you know, I think most kids now are probably, you know, they're already watching Saw and <laughs> Evil Dead by the time they're seven. Yeah. So I think this, yeah. is, this is probably tame. They'll probably be gutted that it isn't too more mm -hmm. monstrous. All, all the kids these days are already playing Call of Duty and Fortnite. <laughs> so, you know, it's... Yeah. <laughs> and Lee, have we convinced you to give it a try? I do want to give it a watch. It's just, I just genuinely forgot that we were talking about it. <laughs> I should probably watch. Um, but no, it does look like something that would be up my alley because 
like you said, it's got that kind of very 80s, almost Spielbergian vibe to it, and with more apocalypse leanings yeah. than Spielberg would probably do. Um, I actually have got the best way of describing this. It's a solo D&D campaign <laughs> for somebody. I mean, in, in effect, the name of the lead character kind of gives you gives away the kind of thing that it's, that, that it's going for. Because the lead character is yeah. called Joel Dawson. So it's kind of like you've got Last of Us crossed with Dawson's Creek, possibly, <laughs> uh, which is in there. So you've got the post-apocalyptic thing, but with the kind of teen yeah. angst uh, element, which is mm-hmm. kind of cool. Uh, and this one doesn't need, yeah. a, need a remake just yet either. Yeah, Def- definitely good fun. And I'll definitely shout it out. Yeah. So, on Netflix now, for those of us in the UK and elsewhere around the world, I assume. <laughs> Take a look at some of the comics out now and coming soon in the pull list. Out now we have Sword Number 5 from Marvel Comics. This is written by Al Ewing with art by Valerio Schulte. In this issue, all the colours of the dark. On Krakoa, Fabian Cortez and the Quiet Council discuss the rules of murder, but in space the murders have already begun, and the killer has a connection to Cortez he'd never suspect. The colour may be gold, but this, my friends, is pure giallo. Also out now, we have Ultraman, The Trials of Ultraman Number 2. Also from Marvel, this is written by Carl Higgins and Matt Groom with art by Francesca Manor. In this issue, when a teammate is in danger, you pull out all the stops to save them. And sometimes, when things are really dire, that means donning your Sunday best. Even if Team Ultraman can pull off this unorthodox rescue, the results will raise some mind-bending questions and put our heroes in the crosshairs of a brand new threat. Also at now from Marvel, we have Way of X number one, written by Simon Spurrier with art by Bob Quinn. In this issue, The Way of the Future of X. Mutant kind has built a new Eden, but there are serpents in this garden. Some mutants struggle to fit in, some mutants turn to violence and death, and the children whisper of the patchwork man singing in their hearts. Only one mutant senses the looming shadows. Snared by questions of death, law and love, only Nightcrawler can fight for the souls of Krakoa. Only he and the curious crew he assembles, including fan favourites Dr Nemesis, Pixie and Blink, can help the mutants defeat their inner darkness and find a new way to live. And also right now from Boom Studios, we have Berserker number two, written by Matt Kint and Keanu Reeves, with art by Ron Garney. And in this issue, US government Dr Diana Arja seeks to unlock the mysterious bee's memories. Lifetimes of violence and tragedy like no one else who has ever lived that began with a fateful decision in ancient Mesopotamia. Also out now from Marvel Comics, we have New Mutants number 17, written by Vita Alia, with art by Rob Reese. In this issue, what's left over when you go home? With a mutant child lost in Otherworld, it's up to the New Mutants to find and extract him without losing themselves in the process. Meanwhile, on Krakoa, Warlock makes a friend, Wolfbane makes a friend, and Magic makes some enemies. And also from Boom Studios, we have Once and Future number 18. This is written by Kieran Gillan, with art by Dan Mora. This is the final issue of the current arc, and in it, the truth shall be revealed. Our world is hardly ready for the consequences to come, but don't worry. Duncan and Bridget are here to save Britain from being pulled into the other world. Unless, of course, they fail. And also out now from Valiant, and my current comic of the week is Shadow Man number one, written by Cullen Bunn, with art by John Davis Hunt. In this issue, the forces of darkness are awakening and they are hungry for life. Will Jack Boniface, feared by the forces of evil as the protector Shadowman, be able to save us all? 
And coming up next week, delayed for a few weeks from IDW, we have Star Trek Year 5, number 20, written by Brandon Easton with art by Sylvia Califano. And in this issue, as the crew of the Enterprise moves forward towards an uncertain future, one of their own will be pulled into a violent past. While investigating a mysterious structure on Vulcan, Spock vanishes. As the crew tries to find him, Spock must fight to survive as he navigates the painful past of his home planet. The final voyages of the original crew continue in this time-hopping adventure. And that's it for this week. As always, you can find out some other great comics that are available each week in the On The Radar section. But for now, back to the main show. So, uh, next week, Resident Evil 8 is launching and... I'm very aware of this because the internet is just full of people who are desperately lusting over the tall vampire lady. Um, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. But at the same time, it is also uh, 25 years of the Resident Evil franchise. Uh, it started in 1996, back on the PS1, and uh, has been going strong ever since. And Capcom seemed to be pulling out all the stops for 25 years of the franchise because... We've got a, a new film coming up, which has absolutely nothing to do with the previous films. Uh, what, but... what you mean, those cinematic masterpieces? <laughs> no, no. Mila Jovic's sandwich ticket for the last ten years. <laughs> no, I mean, like it's, um, it's Paul W. S. Anderson, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's he's moved on to Monster Hunter now, so I think he's going to gradually move through all the Capcom properties and ruin them all. I'll wait, I'll wait for Mila Jovic to turn up in Monster Hunter. By oh, she's she's in she's there. She's the lead actress. Oh, there, you, there we go. <laughs> yeah, it's not you know, like they're married at all. Yeah. You know, the thing is, the first thing I think of with Monster Hunter is the Iraq War, which is the, apparently the setting for the Monster Hunter movie. But anyway, um, so Resident Evil is also getting a Netflix series as well, I believe, that I think is based on the... I, I'm actually confused now if the series or the film is going to be based on like the first two games, but one of them is based on the, the first two games and another one is an original story set in the universe. Hmm. It may involve Wesker's kids, I think. Yeah. Um, and obviously there's a new game coming out and they're just like just celebrating the 25 years of the franchise, so... Yeah, it's um, called Resident Evil Infinite Darkness, mm-hmm. apparently, with Claire Redfield and Leon being the main focus. Yeah. So that one is the one based on the first two games, because it's got, like, um, I believe it's also got Chris Redfield and Jill Valentine, Leon Kennedy, Claire Redfield, mm-hmm. they're all in it, and it's kind of blending the first two games together, because they are set roughly around the same sort of time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they're pulling at all the stops. But it is a series that has been going for a, a long time. So um, just wondering what what sort of experience you guys had with the franchise, if you played much of it or... Hmm. Because for myself, I was never a PlayStation owner as my main console. I have actually, I've owned a PS1 and PS2 at parts, but I was always a bit of a Nintendo boy back mm-hmm. in the day. And then moved over to Xbox. But um so Resident Evil 4 was pretty much my first main game in the series, mm-hmm. which I played and played it to death. And it was such a big thing at the time that it was supposed to be a Resident Evil 4 was supposed to be a GameCube exclusive mm-hmm. back in the time. And then it's now it's available on um every single thing under the sun. Yeah. I think it even came out in New Year. It was like that that widely released. If it's not if if it's not 
if a console doesn't have a Resident Evil 4 release on it, then it's not a true console at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Un- unless it's older than Resident Evil 4, in which case it gets a pass. Yeah, I wouldn't be surprised if they went back and did like D-makes for the N64 <laughs> just so they could claim it on that release. I mean, they, they, are, they are talking about like remaking it, and mm-hmm. I feel like that's the most pointless thing because RE4 just holds up quite well and you can just remaster it. But yeah. whereas like two and three, the recent remakes of that made sense, I feel like four mm-hmm. just doesn't need it. I think four was the, pretty much the first 3D game with a comfortable controller system. Yeah, it was. And it's the, been eight it, so much. It was the first like over the shoulder um, mm-hmm. third person perspective rather than the fixed camera angles and the tank controls, which the yeah. previous games all had. So. Yeah, and I think that's why I always struggled when I went back to try and like play like Resident Evil One or Resident Evil Two, mm-hmm. was those track controls are just so unnatural to me now because Resident Evil Four was my first game in the series, so I expect everything to play like Resident Evil Four, which is even though it still moves like molasses when you're trying to turn around mm-hmm. in the game, it, it's still a great control scheme. And I think, as you said, I think it set a lot of third person over the shoulder shooters just ape its control system to this day because it was so well done and it is it is telling that the resident evil 2 and 3 remakes both took that um control scheme because they are basically an updated version of that that control scheme yeah and it's just so it's such an impact and it was just such a big thing when it came out and i felt so great because I had it on the GameCube and nobody else could play it. So it was kind of like it was the hot property game where everybody else had Playstations and I'm like mm, I'm, I'm just going to play Resident Evil 4 now. <laughs> yeah and then it got a re-release on the PS2. Yeah. <laughs> but I think quality wise and story wise I still think it's kind of like the apex of the franchise for me. Mm. So I've not played the remasters now. But um, I think 4 was definitely the high point because I tried 5 and it was just nowhere near the same quality and then six and seven seem to be a bit of a decline whereas seven's basically just silent hill resident evil mm. so i'll be interested to see what's coming out of eight is it going to be more of a resident evil four style or is it going to carry on what it did with village i think or... well so with eight i believe what they're essentially doing is kind of combining four and seven a bit so it's got mm. the main character of seven coming back and yeah. the setting is very Resident Evil 4. It's that same kind of weird village where everything's gone a bit wrong. Um, mm. With a lot of weird characters sort of in charge of everything that's happening. But instead yeah. of instead of like a, a weird Napoleon, a weird tiny Napoleon, it's now uh, a tall vampire lady. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, talking of the films, I mean, I didn't dislike the first few Mila Jovic movies. I think one and two kind of were the best ones out of the lot because they kind of stuck to the story of one and two a little bit and then it just went a bit crazy after that. Mm-hmm. But um, they are just great, dumb, fun films. <laughs> Again, if you just want to waste an hour or two and you've got nothing in particular on, and it's on ITV4, which seems to be the place where every <laughs> dumb, fun movie ends up nowadays, it's just not, lives there. It's, if it's not Hot Fuzz, it's a Resident Evil movie. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Flip over to you, Keith. Um, well, I kind of I've played them from the very beginning. Um, I remember playing the first Resident Evil on PlayStation, which is probably the the only other game apart from Metal Gear Solid that I played through to completion. 
um, on more than one occasion. Um, <laughs> I absolutely adored two for some reason. Uh, there was just something about that game that I really liked. Um, I liked three, apart from the fact that just the nemesis, just every, literally every time I turned a corner, <laughs> he was there. And I was like, "This just no, just stop, please." It's like I know the game is named after you, but just just let me go somewhere without turning up. That um, was but, definitely that was definitely my feeling about Resident Evil Three is that it yeah. could have been as good as two if Nemesis didn't just keep smashing through every wall in front of me. <laughs> well, it's really <laughs> annoying. It's just, it's didn't no. they do that with the Resident Evil 2 remastered with Mr. Hatbloke? It's kind of like yeah. a bit like a Nemesis character. He, he was in the original Resident Evil 2, but he wasn't there for like the entire game like yeah. Nemesis was. He was. I think it was like the second playthrough that you do. Yeah, and I think, shows up. I think Nemesis was also a little bit frustratingly short, or felt short at the time, um, particularly coming off the back of playing 2. The remake is worse for that. I oh, know. Uh, it cut like even more out. Like Ryan, I played uh, Resident Evil 4 on GameCube. Uh, I like that one a lot because of the, the, the gameplay style. I didn't particularly feel it being a resident. It wasn't Resident Evil enough for me. Um, when they kind of went with that kind of like, you know, East, uh, Eastern Europe village malarkey. Yeah. It's kind of like, well, it's, it's not zombies anymore. I was going to say, it's like that swap from zombies to, was it Spanish villages, I think it was supposed mm-hmm. to be? Yeah. It in Spain. It was, it was a bit weird. It was a bit weird. And, I mean, I did like it enough that I, I then had it again on um, Wii. Uh, but that, kind of after that, I kind of drifted away from the franchise. I, did, I haven't played five, I haven't played six, I haven't played seven. Um, purely because if I've seen a Let's Play, I've kind of, gone, I've kind of experienced that game. It, they seem a bit more linear in terms of it's just a story it's kind of you're going from set piece to set piece uh in in a in a strange way um and i've kind of like i've not really felt it for a while uh i've watched a few of the uh kind of uh cgi animations and i've played a couple of the spin-off games i've played a couple of um survivor games Mm. And I can't remember the name of the one, but it's like the cover was a porthole with somebody looking through, and I can't remember what that one I think was. That was Revelations, I believe. Yeah, and then Code Name Veronica and stuff, mm-hmm. um, which which were okay. I kind of liked a couple of those kind of side um, mm-hmm. games. Code um, Veronica is an interesting one because, like, even though it's sort of classified as a side game, it feels like a main one. Yeah, I think. Like, well, wasn't it originally supposed to be? Two, I think it was two. supposed to be three, hmm. um, because of like where it sort of sits, because it obviously follows on from two, um, and I yeah. think like it was supposed to be three, and then they thought, well, we can just reuse some assets and stick Jill Valentine in there, and we'll call that three instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So it's kind of a series I've I've, I've, I've had a lot of a lot of fondness for. Um, but just the kind of settings now, I've kind of gone, you know, particularly seven for me was a little bit kind of like, you know, Saw's been successful, Hostel's been successful. There was kind of that, you know, it, came, it sort of ended up being kind of Resident Evil, the Eli Roth years, um, <laughs> which I kind of like. I'm I'm not down for that. It's, I'm a little bit kind of like the same way I like my Jurassic Parks. It's like start off with it in one location and then you stick a bunch of zombies in the city. And that's what I want to see. I want to see kind of that thing. Um, so the scale of it is again kind of like when it scaled it back down to you just in a house, um, which is which is nice and you know gameplay wise it works really well, story wise it works really well, 
Um, but yeah, I, I just didn't, you know, I kind of didn't feel for the for the later the later games as much. Um, yeah, and I kind of think possibly this new one might alleviate that bit, a little bit, you know. Um, but again, I don't. I'm not sure whether I'll end up getting to play it. Mm-hmm. One thing I forgot to mention a little bit earlier was the animated films I've quite liked, so Degeneration, Damnation. I think they've done quite a nice job on those if you've not seen them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they pop up on Amazon every now and again um, to watch. They're quite. They're actually. They're actually quite good. Mm-hmm. There is no Final Fantasy spirits within. <laughs> they're, they're decent for the budget that they have. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've I sort of kind of see where Keith's coming from because, like, I've been even though um, I have played like the more recent remakes and stuff, I have not gotten around to playing seven yet, even though I do have it. Um, and I just did not bother with six at all because I just funky giraffe, funky giraffe, yeah, because um, yeah, like it, it got sort of terrible reviews and it was kind of like we've made four game concepts and shoved them in one thing is kind of how it comes across and again doesn't really feel like resident evil as such um i was okay with five i didn't dislike it but it definitely did not feel like resident evil Um, i think my issue with five was i was trying to play it solo mm. and ai is not at the point where Mm. ai is now and having that enforced co-op mode yeah was a big hamper if you were trying to play it through solo first time around Mm -hmm. i didn't have too much of an issue with it because I did play through it solo, but yeah, I can see how it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At the same time. I mean, you're trying to trying to shoot zombies and you're like your teammates off humping a box. Yeah, side of the map. Yeah, it's it's kind of weird because we mentioned another game when we were talking about PlayStation a while back, and at the time I kind of although I loved I liked the Resident Evil games, um, I kind of I kind of felt more drawn to the Parasite Eve games, strangely, mm-hmm. um. You in the, because they had a similar kind of sensibility about them, and I kind of liked that um, Parasite Eve games. And they, they, it was bizarre that they've never, they didn't seem to go anywhere. Uh, and the Resident Evil games kind of like have steamrolled on and on, yeah. you know, it, you know, even above other games that were possibly a little bit better. I um, think part of the reason for uh, Parasite Eve is because like the original never got an official release in Europe. Um, and then the second one, because that, that first one was more of an action RPG than a Resident Evil type game, the second one definitely went full Resident Evil. Yeah. And you can tell that was like Square Enix, well, Squaresoft at the time being like, well, Resident Evil's popular. Yeah, we're going to wait this year. <laughs> yeah. And then the only time they've ever gone back to that franchise is like that PSP game that everyone hates and pretends doesn't exist. Because it was basically it was basically Tetsuya Nomura being Tetsuya Nomura and just being like, what if I make it incredibly complicated and stupid, and just ruin everything about the franchise, like he's been doing to Final Fantasy for the last ten years? <laughs> Do you think part of Final Fantasy, uh, so Resident Evil's success is it has changed over the years, and it's not just been, I think, the same game and it's modified itself. I think there's like a number of factors. I think. It, because it was like, and it is the the game that coined the term survival horror, the first Resident Evil. Um, so that obviously gave it that sort of influence. And Resident Evil 2 was such a massive hit and such a critical success. Like, because like you said, Keith, it is an excellent game. Um, even to this day, like going back to the original Resident Evil 2 still is, it's a good time. 
even if it is very 1998 <laughs> um but i think because of that like it's got a lot of a lot of people have a lot of positive memories of those original games so people are willing to come back to it and obviously resident evil 4 did do so much to change things and was so influential in its own right and i think a lot of that just has contributed to it so there's just always it's always tried to adapt itself as best as possible even seven because of the the way that seven is is very much like this is where horror is now this is where horror games yeah. are this is what we're going to sort of follow that trend i think with seven as well it took it capitalized a little bit on the failure of silent hill mm. and the uh whatever oh, yeah. it, it definitely like because the because you had PT, which obviously took off, yeah. and everyone was like, oh, Silent Hills is coming back. And then it got cancelled, and then Capcom released the, the house demo, which yeah. led to Resident Evil 7. And you kind of see, like, oh, yeah, they're, they're launching off this. And it worked, because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> they yeah. actually did uh, put out the full game in the end. Mm-hmm. It, it did feel like it was very much aping that PT Silent Hill remaster. Yeah. And I think as well, like the series has like spawned so many memes and jokes about it as well, because the terrible acting in the very first game is uh, notable. It's uh, you were almost a chill sandwich <laughs> type lines that are just endlessly quotable. Like especially when the more you think about the lines, how little they make sense sometimes as well. Yeah, I think we're also at a point where it's kind of like. It's it's just the name, uh, yeah. Resident Resident Evil. It's a it's a Resident Evil game in name only, rather mm-hmm. than a, a continuation of a franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like so. It's it. I, I don't, I, and I've got to the point now where I don't expect a Resident Evil game to ha- to be, you know, like you said, have the same kind of feel that I had when I played Two and Nemesis or whatever it is. They they they're whatever they're whatever they are but they just kind of fall under the moniker of, of Resident Evil. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like, I don't think, for me, the appeal isn't quite there as much now. I kind of probably wouldn't go out instantly to go, oh, there's a new Resident Evil game, I'm going to pick it up. I, w- I would kind of like have a look and see and see if it kind of um, you know, rings my bell a little bit before I'd kind of dive in. Um, whereas, you know, buying two and three, because I'd had a good time playing the first ones, it was like, okay, yeah, I'm going to get then you know definitely get two get get three um mm-hmm. but i think that that's that thing is like you know is it now that they just release them under the resident evil name even though they could potentially just kind of have it as a it's brand recognition because you know you feel sometimes that you could have seven could have just been called a completely different name and and mm-hmm. you know if you'd have lost the tenuous mm-hmm. connections to the, the the main series i mean it's interesting it you say been, it's yeah. interesting you say that because there are at least two examples of Capcom making a Resident Evil game and then going off in such a, a far away direction that they realized mm. they should probably call it something else. Yeah. Um, because that's how Devil May Cry started. Yeah, I was going to say, wasn't that the thing with Resident Evil 4? It was pretty much they made the entire game and then threw that version in the bin and just started again because they just weren't happy enough with it. No, it was it was more like they the, it was Hideki Kamiya who directed Resident Evil 2 he started working on Resident Evil 4 and he kept putting elements in that just started drifting it further and further away and suddenly it was like a combo heavy action game with a half demon man 
with a sword and you're like this isn't resident evil anymore is it <laughs> come here <laughs> so that's how suddenly just change yeah. the name change the name of the main character from tony stevens or whatever it was to mm-hmm. uh, tony redgrave that was it um and change it to dante and then just call it devil may cry and we'll do a new franchise um but you also had haunting ground was the same thing as well yeah. um that was also originally supposed to be i think that was also supposed to be resident evil 4 as well yeah, then, I was going to say, I know it's been through many iterations before they did, yeah. like, the follow-up with Leon. And it was like, nobody was happy with any of it, mm-hmm. because you said, because it was just drifting that far away from yeah. what it was supposed to be. So, right, well, What do we think of the future then? I mean, are you both going to pick up 8? I'm definitely curious about 8, and it probably will be one of those that I end up picking up and then don't play for ages, like 7. Um but it's definitely something that I'm interested in. But like I think, like Keith said, that I'm not in a rush to play it. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I know you were very, very happy when the Resident Evil 2 remaster came out. Mm-hmm. Well, remake, we should say, rather than remaster. Yeah, it is a complete remake. It's very different. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, the Resident Evil 2 remake was excellent. Um, 3, not as good. But for me, that felt like it was a pretty faithful remake because it also wasn't as good as two, <laughs> just like the original. So, yeah. Are they going to remake Code Veronica? Do we know? Or... I mean, that one would make a lot more sense than four, but they seem mm-hmm. to be fixated on remaking four for some reason. And everyone, a lot of people have said that like Code Veronica should get that treatment more. Well, yeah. or, well, maybe the Survivor games first. I'd be, I'd be quite happy to play play the Survivor games again. I you think they might do a big. They don't exist. At this point, so. Yeah, you never know. They might do a big anniversary pack for you. Key. They might yeah. just be beavering away in silence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I, but, again, I probably won't rush out to play eight. I'll kind of probably have a look at and see. Uh, but I mean, you know, there's going to be. Plenty of fan art coming out of the game. Uh, there, already, there, already is. <laughs> there already seems to be plenty of that. Because at one point I was thinking, is this game already out? It's like, yes. have I missed it completely? As uh, soon as that trailer came out, all I thought of was the future of the seed with Death by Snoo Snoo. <laughs> oh, that's been everywhere all that. Jokes are involving that episode. <laughs> it, it just seems to be a very curious thing that they picked for the. Uh, for the antagonist this time around. I, I also vampires. get the feeling that she's not the main antagonist, though. I think there's like, a, from sort of some of the hints we've been getting, I think there's like four separate antagonists in different parts of this village, and I think she's just one of them. Yeah, I think that's that's probably mm. that's probably most likely the case. Please hope it's not like Far Cry Five, and it's <laughs> going to be four separate outposts that you have to wander around. <laughs> You imagine if they turned it into a Ubisoft open world sandbox game. I think you imagine the arguments. No, I, th- I think they're going for like universal movie monsters. They're doing a vampire. They're probably going to do a werewolf king or something like that. And then we'll just have like a Frankenstein <laughs> or something. I don't know. That that'd work nicely. Maybe a creature from the Black Lagoon, uh, Lagoon creature. Yeah, that could be the fourth one. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Well, at least it the is... benefits of modern technology is you haven't got to wait thirty minutes. Thirty minutes. Thirty seconds for a door to open. Yeah. Or to climb upstairs. <laughs> I just hope there's lots of typewriters left around aimlessly for no apparent reason. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that, it's funny you mentioned that, Keith, because that is one of the great things about the 
Resident Evil 2 Remake is instead of having that slow door open animation, you can just slam your way through every single door. <laughs> but so can the zombies, so they yeah, yeah. added that to it. Yeah, I wonder if they'll still keep mixing herbs in it. <laughs> I think that might still be a thing. I'm not sure. <laughs> Special mixing of some herbs, yeah. Yeah, there's some reason that they don't feel pain. And it's not like a... <laughs> yeah. But, um, I think, as you said, it, it's it's some one of those things that's managed to constantly reinvent itself, yet still be faithful, as we've seen with the remasters. I think it's 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 a bit of a coin toss with Capcom, but I think they're much better guardians of their history rather than places like Konami or Sony themselves at the minute. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the portion of the show where I talk about my Games of the Week for the past three weeks. Two weeks ago, the Game of the Week was Darkside Detective, A Fumble in the Dark, available on all major platforms. A point-and-click adventure set in a haunted town, this is a comedy supernatural mystery. The sequel to 2017's Darkside Detective, this second outing for Detective McQueen places him up against six strange cases that will see him venturing to places like a carnival and an amateur wrestling circuit. I'm generally a fan of detective-based point-and-click adventures, especially those with a supernatural angle, so this looks exactly like the kind of game for me, so I'd recommend giving it a shot. It currently has a demo on Steam too if you'd like to try a part of it beforehand. Last week, Game of the Week was Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion, because when a game has a title like that, it's demanding to be called the Game of the Week. Set in a corrupt vegetable society, Turnip Boy is accused of tax evasion, unsurprisingly, and now is setting out to commit petty crimes to bring down his debt and then bring down the government. The whole thing is a chaotic take on the old-school Zelda formula, and it looks ridiculous in all the best ways. And then, for this week, do you know what game I loved back in the day? Pokemon Snap, a rail shooter where all your shooting was done with a camera and all your targets were Pokemon. It was a fun, creative time where you'd have to work out how to get the best shots of Game Freak's adorable creatures. So it is with great excitement to announce this week sees the release of New Pokemon Snap, which is also Game of the Week. As the name suggests, it's a new Pokemon Snap, with the core gameplay largely unchanged from the 1999 N64 original. You are a Pokemon photographer, so you head out in a self-driving pod and take photos as you drive by occasionally using tools to encourage certain behaviours and take even cooler photos. New Pokemon Snap promises more of this with a few modern tweaks and adjustments and of course looks so much better. I'm excited for this and you should be too. And now with that, let's get back to the main show. This year is also another anniversary year uh, and this one is for Captain America who is 80 years old this year. Um, the, the publication of his first comic was actually March 1941 uh, when he appeared in Captain America Comics number one from what was called at the time Timely Comics. Um, so the captain himself was uh, created by writer Joe Simon with artist Jack Kirby, who many people will know uh, went on to be very influential in the creation of many, many other Marvel characters. Uh, and obviously Captain America was created at a point when um, we were in kind of the Second World War period. So he was um, a character that uh, first appeared and was very much designed to be a kind of um, patriotic uh, symbol for America during the 1940s uh, and he kind of was published up until 1950 when he disappeared uh, from comic shelves uh, and then he was revived in 1964 uh, thanks to what 
timely became, which was Marvel Comics. Uh, and then Captain America in comics form uh, rejoined uh, the world, uh, became a uh, pivotal member of the Avengers, uh, and has gone on to be kind of one of Marvel's most popular characters, uh, particularly since the fact that he has had a pivotal role in the MCU um, films over the last 11, 12 years now. Um, so obviously, uh, as a character, uh, he's been um, played by um, or was Steve Rogers in the uh, comics, uh, who, who was kind of a, a weedy Brooklyn boy uh, who was given the super soldier serum uh, by Dr. Erskine and became, uh, you know, the kind of figurehead for a lot of um, kind of uh, people in in comics and in the outside world. Um, over the years, he's had multiple iterations. He's gone from being... Uh, Steve Rogers, he's lost his powers. He's become uh, an opponent of political climates in America. There was a period when he actually gave up the shield and costume to become a character called Nomad. Uh, He's also given the shield up to various other characters uh, over the years, uh, most notably uh, and because of the fact that we've had the Falcon and Winter Soldier recently. Both Sam Wilson and Bucky Barnes have held the shield and the title of Captain America over the years. but strangely enough, he is a character that has um, kind of waxed and waned. He's also the first Marvel character that had an appearance outside of comics in a 1940s uh, serial, uh, which is as good as you would imagine a 1940s serial being. <laughs> um, he's also appeared in a couple of other television adaptations, which have had very bizarre uh, <laughs> things to them. I don't, I don't even know why they, my, they've, they've my tried knowledge... to do that. My entire knowledge of one of those is that the guy playing Captain America in one of them was also the lead in a mystery science theater movie called Space Mutiny, and it. And I imagine that it's about the same quality. Yeah, definitely. Um, but I think Steve uh, Steve Rogers and Captain America kind of hit the heights of his popularities, uh, kind of in in the late sixties, seventies, uh, and then just has continued to be a, a you know the equivalent of. Uh, Marvel's Trinity, DC Comics have got obviously Batman, Superman and uh, Wonder Woman and I think Captain America is kind of there uh, alongside kind of um, Iron Man and uh, the Hulk really, they're kind of the big characters that everybody knows, if you showed them an image an image of these characters they didn't really know which superhero they, they was I think you forgot Web Boy there Keith Yeah I was going to say like <laughs> <laughs> there's, there's a character I would go to first to, to yeah. at Marvel yeah but you know he's just a, he's just some teenager he's like you know he's he didn't become an avenger for many many years you know yeah it, it's 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 not quite it's not quite the same but um yeah so he said he's had a bit of controversy over the years there's been a couple of um comic arcs that have kind of portrayed um different sides of steve rogers over the years um we've had kind of things like siege and we've had kind of um various other um he gives up the the whole costume and becomes the super soldier for a while. He's he's de-aged. He's been kind of an old age pensioner. Then he's re-aged. It's a really complicated uh, history for him as a comics character. Um, but I think now that he's become so popular in the in the Marvel movies, um, that is the, that is the version of the character that most people um, will kind of identify with or understand now. Um, and I think even Marvel have taken that influence of what the films have done and brought that a little bit into the 
um, the comics themselves. They've kind of aligned it, as, as well as a lot of their other characters, they've aligned it with um, with with the movies. Um, Brian, you were going to kind of go through with yeah. your kind of um, experiences with Steve Rogers and Captain America through through the MCU. Yeah, because I was a big comic fan back in the early days, uh, but um, lost it for quite a few years. And then when the MCU came, I, I kind of really delved back into it. And considering I know Chris knew Chris Evans from, I think it was not another teen movie prior to him taking up the shield. Um, a lot of faith given to him for, for what was probably an unproven actor in comparison to somebody like Robert Downey Jr. who, who is kind of, he was a legend before he even started in Iron Man and he'd been in Hollywood for quite a long time. And then Chris Evans is some kind of young punk actor who kind of year interesting one of the Marvel's trifecta too. But um What are you talking about? He was he was one of the evil exes of Scott Pilgrim. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And and he'd already been in a Marvel movie prior to being Captain America, which everybody has forgotten, which was Fantastic Four. So he's in two movies as Marvel before then. But um yeah, I, I I think Chris Evans has played the character very deftly. I rewatched um, the first Cap- first Avenger movie, and you can see that development from having Steve Rogers, who's somebody who's very black and white, and I think it was probably referenced in the comics back in the early first phase of he he's the good guy, and he's punching Nazis, so they're obviously the bad guys, and that's kind of like the whole shtick of Captain America to start with. He's always fighting the good fight. And then you kind of start seeing those shades of grey creep in slowly. So Avengers is still very straight-laced, and I think it's around the Winter Soldier, which is basically just the Manchurian candidate for Marvel fans. But uh, around that, you can start to see the grey start to fade into his character, of where everything's not straightforward anymore. Everything's not a case of, I'm the good guy, therefore I'm ultimately right. It's a case of, what if I am wrong? And you can see that then fade through the rest of the Marvel cinematic universe where we like get to Age of Ultron, Endgame, uh, Civil War is kind of the big crisis of confidence moment you have and then you like you see him basically become Nomad in name without the shield at some point even though they don't actually refer to him as that character name and it's pretty much just a riff off Nomad in the comic books and then you see the whole self-sacrifice and the loop back during Infinity War and Endgame to the final we get a happy well, a happyish ending for our Steve, and finds his place in time. It's probably the best way to say. It. But I think it's fed very muchly into um, Falcon and Winter Soldier. And we've not really reviewed it fully, but it has just finished now on Disney Plus at the time of speaking. But you can feel the impact there. It's weighted a lot in the scenes, and I think him as a character has really set a mark on how do you play a superhero. And I think definitely the MCU version of Captain America, it's the only version of Captain America we have now. Um, The comics pretty much just lift and shift Chris Evans straight back into it. And even the Marvel Avengers game was as close to being Chris (laughs) Evans as legally different, I think. um, His stunt double. Yeah. But I think it's definitely... I couldn't see the MCU being as successful without Captain America being such a pivotal role. 
Yeah, I, I think, think some of the best Marvel movies have come out of him. Yeah, I think what they what they did well with the Marvel cinematic version of the character was they understood him as the the character that he'd been portrayed with with over the years that he wasn't just a patriot wrapped up in stars and stripes although the costume is strikingly stars and stripes and and could be um seen as a kind of patriotic nationalistic symbol what's interesting about the character of Steve Rogers is that he's a good guy who wants to fight for everybody not just America and you you get you get a lot of that in um particularly uh, Winter Soldier, that, that Steve doesn't want to see anybody um, kind of, you know, in, uh, harmed or kind of persecuted by their governments. Um, and I think that is one of the things that, that when they they introduced a character who was more nationalistic and patriotic and ha- you had introduced in Falcon and Winter Soldier where you have John Walker <laughs> turn up. And you can see why Marvel at the time went this doesn't this doesn't work this isn't captain america so they have to transfer him across to being coming the u.s agent and and bringing steve back and i think that the perennial um appeal of steve is that he's an everyman but he's not he's not and he's not he's not purely american he the name is mm-hmm. captain america but he stands yeah. for in a similar way to superman is that he stands for kind of truth and justice in the american way kind of thing but the american way is is kind of arbitrary yeah. he's, he's kind of like you know i don't want to see anybody persecuted i don't want to see anybody uh, yeah. put, put at risk or at harm and that, that's that's the thing that makes him an interesting character is he will go against um the, the the his own government and his own superiors and you you know that's why you get the conflict which is so well done in both winter soldier and civil war is that steve rightly or wrongly sometimes his um morals and objections are questionable mm-hmm. but he stands up for what he feels is right um which which is which is kind of nice and that's kind of um the the beauty of him as a character and also all of all of his kind of rogues gallery again are interestingly nuanced characters not particularly pantomime villains although it's the red skull who appears yeah. kind of primarily in uh, first Avenger, but we only ever see him again then in um, Infinity War. Um, he's kind of the most um, kind of cartoonish, villainous, so, yeah. cartoonish. But again, yeah. um, Zemo, uh, as he appears in the MCU, is is really definitely done. Um, mm-hmm. You know, it's it's an it's an interesting set of characters, and, and a lot of he, a lot of the other characters that Captain has as villains, um, you know, a kind of interestingly nuanced thing. And I think that's something that Marvel does well is that their villains, you know, can be quite nuanced and a, and a little bit kind of, um, uh, dual sided and maybe, are maybe are doing the wrong things for the right reasons and stuff, which is quite interesting how they do it. Um, but it it ties, you know, it ties really well. I'm amazed at how well they've done, um, that you know portrayed that character in the films that you know they've not made him the joke that he could quite easily have become mm-hmm. um yeah you know so um, it's and the entire franchise has just hang hung around as you said it's captain america iron man which is our robert downey jr and thor with chris hemsworth and all the other characters though great have always just been there to support the big three i think but it's nice to see that Falcon and Winter Soldier is moving away from that. And it shows you that Captain America is an ideal, not a person. 
and we can see that because you've had, as you mentioned, we get John Walker in there trying to be his best interpretation of him. And he's a very great soldier, but he misses the point of this, the point of the character. But you also got Isaiah Bradley, and you mentioned we had Bucky and also Falcon, who are other versions in the comics. So we get to see like that that continuation of having that ideal of how Steve presents himself can be embodied by somebody else. And I think that works quite well. Yeah, I think the the sense of it being Captain America is an ideal rather than the person uh, works really well. I think the, the comics occasionally struggle to get away from that uh, because the audience of readers finds it difficult to to have change. You know, and the idea of somebody else being Captain America is is um, difficult for them. But certainly, you know, both Bucky and, um, to a greater extent, Sam Wilson um, were, were great Captain Americas. You know, they they certainly did a certain thing. Bucky's is for for one one reason or another his his way of be getting back to who he was before he became the Winter Soldier. Whereas Sam is definitely the kind of um, timely Captain America and it's you know it's sometimes it's a shame that um, characters have to take on other personas and rather than being their own um, character and and kind of taking that on but it's definitely done in some ways and and, um, I think the films have done it in a way that is more accessible to a wider audience comics has got such a there's such a big history to Captain America as a as a character in the comics you know the whole idea that he existed in a totally different uh, set of comics when he was timely and then disappeared for ages and they kind of retcon that whole back because he was frozen in ice for 70 years or whatever it is so it's kind of interesting um 70 years doesn't work out it's only probably about 25 or something mm-hmm. it's a whole yeah it's, it's like he's been trapped the, for the last airbender yeah. the entire time it's a iceberg along yeah it's, it's a little while he was stuck down the, the he was stuck down the wrong aisle in iceland for too long um, <laughs> but it, again as a character you know he's appeared in the films but he's he's broken out into um video games as well which is which is kind of where we've, we've tasked lee to kind of have a have a delve into cap's appearances in video games yeah i've had a look and he's not had a good time in video games um i mean as we as you've mentioned ryan um the recent avengers game that came out last year um currently the pc version of which is sitting on 68 percent on metacritic 31% user score as well so you know it's doing doing really well um but it, i mean that game has lost a lot of money like it has not impressed a lot mm-hmm. it's it's not really won over a new audience for the character or for the avengers as a whole and it's also not really pleased marvel fans and i find it kind of weirdly impressive at how badly that's failed because this is like the sort of biggest Marvel multimedia thing to come out since Endgame, really, because yeah. um, I think it did like predate um, One Division and stuff. So I think because the MCU now is so prevalent yeah. in our minds, any move away from MCU for non-long-term comic fans mm-hmm. are automatically going to try and reject it. But I think that was part of the problem because they, rather than trying to do their own unique spin on the characters like you've seen in like you know the comic version has gone through various different iterations and they could have done something with that but they clearly with the outfits and stuff were very much trying to steer close to the mcu but the faces 
do yeah. not look like any of the actors. <laughs> and it's very clear they could not get the license for any of those likenesses. And that's why all the jokes about stunt doubles came yeah. from. And... <laughs> I, I think they probably could have got the license, but they probably just decided to spend the money on more marketing yeah. instead. And which, I mean, which is not a great choice. It's also not really helped that the game came out and it's basically just a rather barren live service game that like the only additions they've made to it are two different Hawkeyes. Yeah. And that's a weird <laughs> choice. <laughs> uh, what from what I've heard, it's a grind em up is the it best is, way to describe yeah. it. And it's, it's just constant boring yeah. grind. It's like they it's like they designed it around microtransactions and then forgot to put the microtransaction system in. <laughs> so you can't even skip it all with money. Um but like I had a look at what else Captain America's been in, and it's interesting that he's only have ever had two games entirely to himself. Um the first of which was Captain America in the Doom Tube of Dr. Megaloman in nineteen eighty seven for the Amstrad CPC in Commodore sixty four. Um, so very old and very few reviews exist for this game but the ones that do are not we're not too impressed uh, Crash Magazine and Zap64 both gave it 36% uh, meanwhile Sinclair user and your Sinclair gave it 7 out of 10 which is slightly better, slightly more respectable but you can tell who was the IGN of the day in that guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but the only other like purely Captain America game was Captain America Super Soldier in 2011 uh, from mm-hmm. Sega, uh, which was PS3 and 360, but that also didn't yeah, get... That was to tie in with the first it Avenger? Was yeah, it was to tie in with like, the first Captain America movie, and we're looking at sort of around 60, 61% on Metacritic for that one. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there's been plenty of Avengers-related games, aside from that one. Uh, the the closest I could find to like another like purely Captain America one happened to be shared with Spider Man and that was like another sort of old eighties computer game. The Amazing Spider Man and Captain America in Doctor Doom's Revenge. I love how long these titles are in the old ones. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I think there was another arcade game, but yeah, there's a few Nothing. arcade games and stuff. But they're yeah, all got, very side-scrolling beat-em-ups, you know. aren't they? Um, yeah. But what I like about this amazing Spider-Man and Captain America one is that apparently Computer Gaming World declared it the 27th worst game of all time. It <laughs> <laughs> was in 1996, so you know, mm. probably had a few more bad games since then. But I think the ones you're referring to, we've got. Um, Avengers and Galactic Storm and Captain America and the Avengers were both sort of arcade side-scrolling yeah. beats around sort of the mid-90s. Yeah, I think that's similar to, if I recall correctly, going back to when I used to put my pocket change into arcade <laughs> machines decades ago. They were very similar to like the TMNT games at yeah. the time, where it's yeah. like three or four player characters and side-scrolling that kind of... Yeah. That's that's definitely what I'm I'm seeing here. And Again, it's another one of those things where it's like it had they had their fans but weren't amazing especially compared to like other similar games of the time i mean like mm-hmm. one of those came out around the time of streets of rage and just from looking at the screenshot i'm like streets of rage just looks so much better than that but, <laughs> but, um, but it's, mean, it's odd it's odd though isn't it because you'd expect him to work perfectly as a video game character he's a super yeah. soldier yeah and you'd expect because iron man has had a few games in the past of, it, mm-hmm. of varying success, but um, we've had Hulk games as well. But we've never 
nothing's ever matched the Spider-Man games mm-hmm. in kind of quality and just having that whole superhero feel to it mm-hmm. where you think Captain America would translate quite easily, especially mm-hmm. in modern day games. It's it's definitely interesting with like the recent Avengers game because it came out in the same year as uh, Spider-Man Miles Morales, which incredibly well received. I mean, obviously it's built on the same engine as the 2018 Spider-Man game and it's it's really just a sort of short expansion to that in like a single game release. Um, mm-hmm. But it's it got rave reviews and it's won awards and things like that. And meanwhile, the full Avengers game came out months before it is just like Square Enix had to be saved by the Final Fantasy VII remake because of how badly that's done. So, you know. <laughs> Didn't they cancel another franchise to th- throw the money into Avengers as well? Um, I believe because Crystal Dynamics made the Avengers game, Tomb Raider yeah. got transferred over to Eidos Montreal. Mm. And Eidos Montreal, I think, normally make Deus Ex. So yeah, that's that, what yeah got... it was supposed to be, so that's yeah, it was what supposed got... to be the third part in the Human Revolution yeah. follow-on game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, looking at some other ones, we've got like Marvel Superhero Squad, which I think were based on toys. Uh <laughs> Marvel Avengers Battle for Earth. These are and all of the Metacritics for these are like in the sixties. And surprisingly, the Lego Avengers one was also did not get some good reviews as well. And normally, those Lego games tend to be pretty good. So I'm very surprised to see. Yeah. I think um, me and Keith played that back at EGX a few years ago. Yeah, uh, I think I think as well that he's he's been in a couple of the kind of mobile games. Yeah, there's plenty of mobile games and stuff. Of words. and actually, they're not. Some of those aren't too bad. Mm-hmm. And, and I think a couple of them, are, they put them as teachers, kind of the main characters are put as teachers. Mm-hmm. Um, and you can do you can do stuff um, with them. But again, he, he's kind of like, he's. I don't think really translates that well to a video game character. He's just, he's just fighty, fighty, shieldy, shieldy, which is a kind of a, as a, as a mechanic for you to kind of work into the game. Is a little trickier than Spider's web, Spidey's web shooters, and I think Spidey mm. just translates a little bit easier into kind of a mechanic. It would be, you know, if you could somehow kind of, you know, work out the physics of throwing shields, because that's kind of Cap's thing. He throws a shield and it'll hit ten people and come back. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, I think that's a little bit more difficult to kind of translate into a uh, a video game that can be led by him as a single character. And I think that's yeah. what they tried to do with the Avengers was kind of like, well, we can have a bit of Cap for a while. But then it's going to be another character that's got a little but bit more of a translation. I think power one set. of the complaints I've seen though is that like even though like it's the Avengers, they all kind of largely play the same, which yeah. is really bad because even if if the Hulk plays the same as Captain America yeah. and Iron Man, you're in trouble. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Everybody bashes things, and all difference... your flying characters can only go three feet above the floor. Yeah, I think the difference is is that Iron Man's got some limited flight and Black Widow's got a gun. I think that's like the only difference. Um, and then, but from what I can tell, like if you're looking to play as Captain America in a video game, your best part, your best bet is the Marvel versus Capcom games, uh, which are generally generally well received fighting games. Obviously, sort of following on from like the Street Fighters and the Dark Stalkers series. Um, you know, it's very much Capcom drawing on their fighting game experience to make just a solid fighting game, which throws their characters in along with some Marvel characters. I always feel like a Marvel versus Capcom game is like a chat down the pub with the who would win conversation. <laughs> it's like a few beers in, right? Who'd win in a fight? Uh, Mega Man versus Wolverine. Yeah. 
And it's kind of, that's why Marvel versus Capcom mm. was made, just to figure that out for some people. Yeah, I think but the thing, the thing is that game's kind of interested me, but it's always the Marvel stuff that's put me off it, because as someone who just isn't into Marvel, <laughs> like, I would definitely, but if they wanted to do just a Capcom crossover fighting game, I would probably just jump on it straight away. But mm. the Marvel stuff that puts me off, I did, after I did my PlayStation All-Stars history series years ago, where I looked back on the origins of all the characters in that game people i did get some requests of like doing sort of similar games and marvel versus capcom was one of them and i was considering it and then i looked at like funnily enough captain america and was looking at what i might have to look back at to get a sense of what it, what that was and i was just like yeah no this is too much work i'm not doing that yeah. <laughs> he bonks people over the head with his shield it was, it was it. more just like the 75 years of comics or whatever that I saw. I was just yeah. like, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Where do we it's, even start with this? It's a, com- <laughs> it's a convoluted history. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like the Capcom side of it, I would have been like, oh, yeah, Okami. I've played Okami. I've played Resident Evil. I understand Street Fighter. It's fine. I can figure out the rest from there. But mm-hmm. the Marvel side of things. But again, yeah. well, even that's sort of had its problems because the most recent one has not been well received. Which I think mm-hmm. they did kind of rush that one out just to, just to get one out. I think. Yeah. Yeah. Some some things translate to other other forms. Some things don't. And mm-hmm. I think, um, you know, even though superheroes is a is a big thing right now, they don't always tra- translate very well to kind of video games, um, because people are coming to them with the expectations that they'll do everything they could in the. Um, comics and i think that's why until very recently as well and the mcu being able to actually show these characters the way they are portrayed in the comics is it worked you know the 1970s captain america riding around on a motorcycle with a motor <laughs> helmet you know with a cycle helmet and a perspex shield yeah yeah it just it just doesn't work because your expectations of that character is you know he can leap around he hits 10 people with his shield as it bounces around and if that's not translating you it's like well why would I want to be Captain America if all I can do is stand here and occasionally maybe swipe somebody with my shield? I think, you know, it is definitely interesting that the only superheroes I've really seen translate well to games are Spider-Man and Batman because they're the only ones who seem to have series, have games and series that are consistently reviewed well. Yeah. You know, you've got the Arkham games, you've got the Insomniac Spider games, even the like PS1 Spider-Man games. Which are built Spider-Man on the Tony... 2 is still like the best game ever for many just people. Bafflingly built on the Tony Hawk engine, and I just don't, I can't get my head around that one. <laughs> but yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I think for a character that's been around as long, I think he's aged considerably better than some people would expect as a character. I mean, this is the thing, like, as someone who's very much outside all of this, the fact that they have kind of moved him away from being like that kind of propaganda, you know, very nationalist sort of character and kind of given him depth. And like when you're talking about like him standing up for the American way, like they seem to have leaned into him representing the ideal that's kind of in the US Constitution, not necessarily representing America as it is, which I yeah. think is yeah. is a really interesting way to kind of keep that character going because there's a lot of good stuff you can do with that. So. Yeah, it's what works particularly well with the Falcon and Winter Soldier series mm-hmm. because they, they definitely lean into that idealism of like what we can be rather than what we are. And I think mm-hmm. that works. And it, and it asked some interesting questions and posed some really interesting um, 
you know, hard questions about kind of contemporary American society and society across the globe. Um, you know, these these are not things that are exclusively American. It kind of affects everybody across the world, and 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 an ideal, you know, is something everybody can strive to, um, which is good. And it, I think I think it's unfortunately the name is is you know the for, forefront of it. It's a little difficult to get away from that idea yeah. of Captain America, mm. which I can understand why some people have, diff, you know, some problems with him. Uh, as a character but i think in his history it's been proved that he is more than just a, a patriotic symbol uh, and as a as a man actually does stand for something you know kind yeah. of interesting yeah, yeah. I mean, it could always be captain americas and like include canada and south america <laughs> and, well, and central america a new version less stars and stripes just a mexican <laughs> captain america <laughs> yeah there's probably there has probably been a version of Captain America that was. Uh, oh, there uh, is pro- there yeah. is probably like there is a whole genre of Mexican wrestler movies, and there almost certainly is one that's a rip off of Captain America. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is probably mm. better than that 19, 1970s Shield motorcycle version. <laughs> I'm sure there's been a Captain Canuck at some point. <laughs> oh yeah, there's there's a comic book character called Captain Canuck, which is quite good. <laughs> um, I mean. It's difficult to recommend anybody to a particular part of Cap's history um, as a jumping on point. It's kind of going on. It's been going on for quite some time. Um, but if, if people are interested in, in kind of picking up some of the, some of the collections that, that Cap, um, Captain America in, um, the Roger Stern, John Byrne run from 1980s is, is pretty good. Um, there's a run from artist J.M., writer J.M. Dematius, uh, which is pretty good. Ed Brubaker has done... Uh, some great um, Captain America issues over the years. Um, if you've liked what you saw in um, Falcon and Winter Soldier, then it's definitely worth picking up Truth, Red, White and Black, uh, which is a limited series, um, which kind of plays out a lot of what you saw in that series. But obviously um, it's Steve Rogers rather than Sam Wilson on that. So that's definitely worth picking up. Um, but um, yeah, it's just... Um, it's probably just worth having a flick through a, a, a few of his back issues and kind of see what's there. Um, you know, we're talking about several hundred comics now, um, so it's 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 a little bit tricky. But again, some of the kind of big series, so kind of like um, Civil War uh, and kind of Secret Invasion and stuff, where he plays a pivotal part. If you can find it, there is a JLA Avengers um, crossover from the kind of late 90s possibly early 2000s drawn by uh, george perez which is really nice um i did so many crossovers back in those days didn't they yeah quite a few um but yeah it's it's, i mean you've got 80 80 years worth of um history to catch up on um but yeah Yeah, so going back to this idea of like the lucador like (laughs) rip-off movies um there, there kind of is one of captain america However, it's actually a Turkish movie that rips off the Lucador movie. Ah, uh, this sounds better every second. <laughs> so it's got Captain America teaming up with Spider-Man and El Santo to <laughs> go and save the world. And it's a Turkish movie that is completely yeah. unlicensed. Marvel, is this like Marvel Turkish Star Wars? Wars? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, this sounds like as good quality as Turkish Star Wars back in the day. Yeah, probably. I am unaware of Turkish Star Wars, but I'm, oh. I'm imagining Turkish oh. Star Wars. Turkish Star Wars is definitely a future feature for us to visit. <laughs> I think Keith would have at least watched it once. Uh, I think I have, yeah. 
yeah. Although I, I, I don't know whether it will work video-wise for people, but there was a yeah, this isn't going to work. But there was a character that was in the original Guardians of the Galaxy uh, called Vance Astro, who modelled himself on uh, kind of Captain America, wields the Captain America shield. Uh, I think he appears briefly in Guardians of the Galaxy two. Or the character of Vance Astro is in there somewhere. I don't know if he's got Cap's shield, um, but because that's set three, it's in the year three thousand. Um, so it's convoluted comics history, which I think they've retconned beyond all belief now. <laughs> they might exist in an alternative universe somewhere. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that's the influence of kind of hit the Captain America as a character that you know even three in the year three thousand, like a thousand years later, kind of the ideals of what mm-hmm. he stands for. He's still part and parcel of. Um, yeah. Other oh, characters. So, yeah. So we got, I, I won't even go down the whole Guardians of the Galaxy fans history. Yeah. And it's amazing how effective that shield is for its design, because I think it's it's worldwide recognised now. You could you could probably case it anywhere, and as soon as you pop that shield out, everybody knows it's Captain America. Yeah, I, I, my button does hover over the buy button when I'm on various <laughs> websites where it's like one to one scale Captain America replica, and I kind of go, yeah. should I should I get this? It's kind of you know, it looks kind of cool. I, I just carry I think, it around. I think your lovely partner would throw that shield at you quite <laughs> oh, yeah. hard if you'd brought it home. Yeah. <laughs> As would mine. <laughs> it's it's just a wall decoration. It's fine. I wouldn't I wouldn't take it off yeah. and kind of like dance around in the garden at, at late night with it. <laughs> <laughs> try, try and do a backflip in the middle of the garden <laughs> it would end in disaster yeah but, uh, happy birthday Cap yep here's to 80 more years hopefully thank you for joining us on the Geeky Brummy podcast this issue I hope you enjoyed uh, please don't forget to do the usual like, subscribe, share, tell all your friends about us um Give us a shout on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all at Geeky Brummy. But uh, if you want to find us all in the week, Keith, where can we find you online? You can find me online on Twitter at hardluck underscore hotel, mostly as a rebroadcast channel for that Geeky Brummy on Twitter. Uh, I'm also on Instagram at hardluck without the underscore hotel. Don't type at without underscores. <laughs> no underscore. It's a really long uh, name, Keith. Yeah, it's really long. Um, <laughs> But otherwise, you can regularly find me on a Wednesday uh, tweeting about some of the new comics that are out and about through the Geeky Brewing website and Twitter feed. Awesome. Lee, where can we find you online? You can find me on YouTube at Bob the Pet Ferret, where I do various different gaming videos. Recently did a video all about why The Last of Us does not need a remake. And um, uh, there's the various things falling off from the side of that. So, like... Bob the Pet Ferret on Twitter for updates on that and the Cheap Ferret for personal updates and it's all supported through Patreon on Bob the Pet Ferret as well and mm-hmm. uh, like Keith you can find me talking about games on a Friday on geekybrummy.com with my gaming mm-hmm. roundup with uh, Matt covering esports Matt who is not joining us right now so. yeah yeah. talking of Matt you can find him at Mr. Matt Lovell on Twitter and matchstick underscore Matt on Instagram and he takes over the Geeky Brummy account on a Monday and as you mentioned does mainly esports and a few other updates uh, there's also Mrs. Geeky Brummy who does a fantastic job over the weekend but she runs Geeky Goings On which is our local listings guide for the Birmingham and the West Midlands and online events mainly at the moment hopefully some more fresh events coming soon uh, you can find me at Ryan Parish, but as I mentioned previously don't forget to like us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, or at Geeky Brummy. And there is a Kofi link in the bottom if you think we 
deserve a bit of coffee money. It all helps. Uh, we'll be back with you next issue, but thank you very much for doing us today, and goodbye, everybody. Cheers.